pleased to have John Palafutis preach this morning. Two reasons I thought it appropriate to have John uh, speak to us this morning. First is that John, as a former Presbyterian pastor, has led a Bible study for the past 30-some-odd years. The subject that we're addressing this morning is uh, God speaking through His Word, so I thought this was an appropriate subject for John to address uh, due to his commitment uh, to studying God's Word. Second reason I thought it appropriate for John to speak is not only the subject, but also the day. This is Veterans Day, or the, the weekend of Veterans Day, and before serving in the pastoral ministry, uh, John served in the army. So John, for both the reason, the, the, the day, and for the subject, I thought it was appropriate to hear from John. So thank you for sharing with us this morning. Let's pray. In the name of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Uh, first, if you're a visitor to Christ the King, and this is your first Sunday here, I am so sorry. <laughs> uh, for some of you who know the area, uh, there are a couple of churches in the, uh, in the area that have special names. There's Emmanuel on the Hill, which is right over by the seminary. On, uh, uh, on Russell Road, there's another Emmanuel, it's called Emmanuel in the Hole, and from henceforth, this place will be called Christ the King in the Cold. So, maybe a new sign. Uh, several months ago, a group of us from Christ the King traveled down to Gunston Hall to participate in an, a naturalization ceremony for our friend and fellow constituent, Jonathan Essen. And he and 50 other immigrants were sworn in as citizens to the United States. For any of you who participated in a naturalization ceremony, you know how moving and dramatic it can be and uh, what a wonderful opportunity it is. Well, what happened, as it does in any naturalization ceremony, the uh, uh, after ceremonies, the immigration official asked the immigrants to stand up and take the oath of citizenship. And they all put up their right hands and took the oath. The first thing that those new citizens did was participate in another ritual. The master of ceremonies looked at the crowd and said, please stand and join me and our new citizens in the Pledge of Allegiance. And we all stood there and pledged allegiance to the flag. There's 22 words in the Pledge of Allegiance. And, and, and reciting that pledge at that moment with our new citizens, for those of us who been saying the Pledge of Allegiance all our lives and with those new citizens. It was an emotional moment. And it brought us together. There was no dividing line. Now, we all may have understood the Pledge of Allegiance differently, but we all said it. The interesting thing about the Pledge of Allegiance, it was written in 1892 by a clergyman. And he wrote it for a specific occasion. Uh, they were commemorating the so-called uh, discovery of America by Columbus. And the first time the Pledge of Allegiance was said in public was on October 12, 1892. <coughs> in a similar way, in, in 330, 326, the Council of Nicaea met. And they met for a particular purpose. They were dealing with some uh, heresy in the church, and they wanted to write a statement, in some respects, a Pledge of Allegiance a statement about what the church thought about Jesus Christ. And it 
was uh, to be a forceful statement. The heresies were uh, really dividing the church. And that those 320 bishops who met, met over three months, and they devised what we now know as the Nicene Creed. Uh, and over the next 50 years, uh, there were other changes made to it and to the Council of Constantinople, and which we have basically the form we have now. And this creed is used among most Christian denominations. Roman Catholics, Protestants uh, use this uh, to assert their faith. And we're going to say that together in, in a few minutes. And the, 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 the mystery or the magic of that is it will draw us together. We will make proclamations about our faith. But it will also tie us to those 320 bishops 1,700 years ago who wrote this statement. And they wrote this statement to protect us and to inform us and to give us the opportunity to speak of our faith. Now, do you know there are four sections in the Nicene Creed? There's a section on God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, there's a second, third section is on the Holy Spirit, and the fourth section is on the church. Now, among other things, the creed forces us, in the way it's uh, written, to understand some things that we believe. And I don't, we've talked about this in the past uh, in talking about the creeds, but I don't want it to slip by. The creed forces, to look, us, to see, forces us to see there are two kinds of people in the world. We like to say there's, there's two kinds of people in the world. <clears throat> there's naturalists and supernaturalists. We are supernaturalists. It doesn't mean we don't believe in science. We don't, it doesn't mean we don't believe in reason. But we believe there are supernatural realities in life. And that those supernatural realities are important, indeed eternal. And the, and the creed forces us to, to look at these things. The portion of the creed we're looking at, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. He spoke by the prophets. Now what's remarkable about those 37 words uh, is what it doesn't talk about. Now there are many things that the creed could have talked about in terms of the Holy Spirit. Things we believe and hold to be true. It doesn't mention the fact that the Holy Spirit is a counselor. An advocate, a comforter, a spirit of truth, a teacher, a reminder, a revealer, a helper, an intercessor, a witness. It doesn't mention the Spirit's role in healing or the Spirit's role in speaking in tongues. It doesn't mention those things, not because they're not important, but because those writing the creed had something intentional that was even more important than those things. So, the creed talks about three things. And when we take a look at this, we need to look at these three things about the Spirit. It talks about the title of the Holy Spirit. He's the Lord and giver of life. His identity, he's a member of the Trinity. And his ministry, he spoke through the prophets. First, the Holy Spirit joins the Father and Son in creation. It's very easy to let the Holy Spirit sort of stay in the other room or bring the hindmost. But the Holy Spirit is vital to the understanding of God and the Trinity. And the Trinity is at the center of what we do and what we believe as Christians. 
It's, and, it, and it ties the Holy Spirit intimately and intricately into the Godhead. Because in the first part of the Creed, it talks about the Father, maker of heaven and earth. It talks about the Son, by whom all things were made. And then it says this powerful thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. The Lord and giver of life. We can't put that aside. He's the Lord not only of spiritual life, but of physical life itself. And this supernatural statement about the Holy Spirit becomes very important for us. And especially that the, the council called him the Lord. The second thing it says about the Holy Spirit is that he's a member of the Trinity. Now, it doesn't define the Trinity. It doesn't try to define the Trinity. People are always trying to define the Trinity. Uh, people talk about sometimes say, well, it's a metaphor like water, you know, the solid state water, ice, and steam. And they go, that it's a terribly inadequate way to talk about the Trinity. Just, and it's wrong. Uh, other than that. Uh, but I like C.S. Lewis's description of the Trinity. His too is wrong, but it's less wrong than anything I've thought. C.S. <laughs> Lewis says, God is not a static thing, not even one person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. Now, I like that. And again, I may be a heretic to like it, but that won't be the first time. But I also like the fact that the Council of Nicaea has placed the Holy Spirit in that dance, in that drama, that it's not just some other figure, but it's part of the community of the Godhead. Now, the third thing it talks about is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the ministry is put in the context of the first, joining the, the, the the Father and the Son. The second, he's a member of the Trinity. And the third ministry he has is he spoke through the prophets. We kind of take that for granted. But think about it. Why would they put he spoke through the prophets? Because there's so many other things that we think are so much more important. And I think it's because, I know it's because, that is, in fact, the most important ministry that the Holy Spirit has. Now we have to understand, and to understand what, what the council is getting to, is the fact that the Holy Spirit, according to the creed, didn't pop up at Pentecost. We talk a lot about Pentecost and the speaking of tongues, but that's not where he appears. The creed says he appeared in creation. And, and not only did he appear in creation, he spoke through the prophets. And we have to ask ourselves, well, that's interesting. You know, we talked about you know, the things that were going on in olden times. Uh, and we take it for granted that the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets and he speak, continues to speak through the church today. We sort of take that for granted. But he spoke through the prophets. And we say, well, what did he say? Now we have to look at this point to Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Famous story. We all know it. We've heard it in Bible school. Jesus appears on the road to Emmaus to the disciples. They, he asked them, what are you upset about? They tell him some strange things that have happened. And Jesus looks at him and says, huh. And he says this odd thing. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We see the New Testament is about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ saw the Old Testament about Jesus Christ. And it's why the divines put this together. The Old Testament is the promise of Jesus Christ. The New Testament is the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. And that's why when some ministers get up there and say, well, I really don't like the Old Testament, they're saying they really don't like Jesus Christ. You should tell them to shut up. <laughs> Politely. Now the reason Jesus says that, making that emphasis, is he's looking at the Old Testament about some very important things. And he talks about Moses and the prophets. Jesus is saying, the creation story is about me. Because I made everything. And I will restore everything. I have restored your broken human nature. Creation is about me. Another place that Jesus is in the Old Testament. In fact, throughout the Old Testament. But these are just some examples. Jesus said that Moses leading the chosen people out of Egypt through the Red Sea is about me. Jesus leads us out of captivity through obstacles that are impossible. Through that Red Sea, he leads us the same way. The Red Sea is about Jesus. Daniel in the lion's den in the fiery, fiery furnace is about Jesus Christ. He's saying, I stood in the lion's den. I went into the fiery furnace for you. That's my story. Don't ever think it's just some story in the past and that you can't believe it. That story is about me. The story about David and Goliath is about Jesus. And it's an important story about Jesus. David, this stupid kid with a slingshot, goes up with the biggest man in the world and defeats him. And Jesus is saying, I am David. I am your David. And I will go up against your Goliaths. And the slingshot I bring will be something that the world will look at and say, that's inconsequential. You've got to be kidding me. We'll laugh. And we'll stand there with the cross and say, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. We'll defeat the Goliaths in our own lives. And that's why Jesus says the entire Old Testament and why the divine say he spoke through the prophets. Because they want to emphasize that the Holy Spirit is first and foremost talking about Jesus Christ. He's the Lord and giver of life. And the giver of life, Holy Spirit, gives Jesus Christ to us. Now, we also tend to, when we look at the Old Testament, uh, we, we tend to think, well, I want something new and exciting. I mean, I, What's, what are, what's going to happen in my life? We seem to be looking for something new. Uh, and, and that, quite frankly, is a mistake. Uh, our Hebrews passage said, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. And we understand that these are the last days we're in the, and that God has spoken to us by his son. So the Holy Spirit continues to speak. Somebody this week, a friend of mine, uh, said to me, you know, John, I wish God would speak to me the way he did to those in the Old Testament. 
And I said, well, come to the sermon on Sunday and I'll tell you why you don't want that. And uh, I said, listen, are you sure you want God to speak to you? When God talked to Moses, he sent him out into the desert for 40 years to herd sheep. When God talked to Jeremiah, Jeremiah ended up getting hated by everybody in Israel. When God talked to Hosea, he told Hosea to go marry a prostitute. When God talked to Jonah, Jonah ended up in a whale. So be careful. <laughs> you may not want God to talk to you. It sounds all rather dramatic, but I'm not so sure. Second, what the Nicene Creed tells us is that God, through the Holy Spirit, is speaking to us now. He's speaking about Jesus Christ. Someone once said that, uh, about the Bible that the Bible is not about what we should do. The Bible is about what has been done for us. And that's what the Holy Spirit keeps saying over and over again. Are you worried about your life? Come to Jesus. If you don't understand what's going on, come to Jesus. It's what the Bible is saying all the time. We want to look for something sophisticated in our lives. I want some clever theological or psychological or uh, technological fix on this. And the Holy Spirit says, come to Jesus. Now, this coming to Jesus and this ministry of the Holy Spirit is not just an academic thing. It's not just something when we take a look at scriptures that we, uh, we sit around with the commentaries and uh, concordances and look at things. No, it's an experiential thing. We deal with, the, with, with the, the spirit and the scriptures in a peculiar way. We live, we live for that. We act on that. And we find out the truth of what the spirit has to say. It's interesting that on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus is telling them about the uh, scriptures, uh, these disciples are listening. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they sit down and have dinner. And it was in the breaking of the bread that they realized who Jesus Christ was. That is not an insignificant thing. I looked back on the last six sermons I preached here, and I noticed that my last point that I made in those sermons now, I, I don't know if this is a weakness in me or my only strength, but I noticed that the last things I've talked about have been the communion realm. About the communion realm. And unfortunately for you, that's all I can talk about now. <laughs> because when you're talking about the Word of God, you have to have your eyes open to Jesus Christ. And it's here that the promise of the Spirit the promise of his word becomes fulfilled. And all of us in its different ways. For, you can, when you're sitting up here on a Sunday morning and you look at people coming up here, you see the expressions of anticipation, sometimes of fear, sometimes of confusion, sometimes of great joy, sometimes of, 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 of unhappiness coming to the rail. But Jesus Christ is here. The Holy Spirit is here waiting to reveal him. Now, for me, it sometimes doesn't happen right here at the communion room. It sometimes happens during the week when I go, oh, that's what that meant. But as we come to the rail today, understand that the Holy Spirit is ready to speak. And he's going to speak about Jesus Christ. And it's going to be important. 
Pay attention. Let's stand, and we will write, we will say together, the uh, portion in the sermon notes, it's the line in the Apostles' Creed, or the Nicene Creed that we discussed, and that John will lead us in singing the Creed. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who 